Hello and welcome to the 24th episode of the Sports Map Podcast. My name is Nick Kane. This is the podcast where we're talking all things sports medicine, physiotherapy, rehabilitation, and return to performance. Now, in today's episode, we'll be chatting around the really important topic of the physio's role in acute high trauma, including life threatening injuries pitch side in contact sports with the Queensland Reds head physiotherapist in Gina Nelson, who's also a clinical educator in the immediate care rugby courses. We've had a big start to 2023 at the Sports Map hosting Edna King and Jordan Managuchia for a range of courses here in Australia. The Masterclass platform is up and running and firing away with fantastic content coming month after month. So check out all the latest at sportsmap.com.au and don't miss any upcoming Masterclasses. So it was a pleasure to host Gina uh, to give her take on both her experience in contact sports in professional rugby and also uh, as a clinical educator with the acute immediate care in rugby, which is uh, something that was started by Warren, Warren McDonald years ago. And um, Gina's clearly got a passion and great knowledge around this area, ensuring physios um, at first line responders, which is the case at many local sporting clubs, feel the level of competency required to at least handle situations uh, and have a process in mind in how they go about that. So we ran through a couple of different scenarios and and cases and how things might work and uh, there's certainly some key information here and and, uh, Gina will also chat a little bit further around the immediate care courses which is an option for many of our physios out there to uh, explore. All right, welcome to the podcast Gina. Hi Nick, thanks for having me. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you and um, really excited to talk through today's topic in uh, the physio's role in acute high trauma, including life-threatening injuries. And to give us a little bit of scope on your background, both professionally and uh, also in that space, can you give us a bit of a rundown on, on your experience and um, your work career to date? Yeah, sure. Um, so work-wise, um, I've just finished up um, with the Queensland Reds um, after working with them for seven and a half seasons. Um, and I've just started my own practice, Q Performance, so I'm working there day to day at the moment, um, sort of seeing um, a lot of the athletic population in the private world, um, starting to see athletes, you know, from a few different sports, uh, but also still seeing um, a fair few kind of rugby athletes as well. Um, and I'm sort of looking to get involved in a bit more educating and teaching and giving back um, to the physio profession and um, some of the younger physios, and then also. Um, just with the course um, that we're sort of going to talk about today as well, getting a, a bit more involved in that um, throughout the year and um, teaching on a few more of those courses as well. Beautiful. Now, no doubt having spent uh, seven seasons at the, at the Reds in rugby, you would have seen plenty of uh, trauma-related injuries and, and neck-related injuries, and that's something we'll certainly touch on. Um, your involvement uh, and teaching you mentioned there in immediate care in rugby courses, how did you get involved in teaching these courses and, and what got you into it? What are you passionate, why are you passionate about that and, and educating uh, sports med professionals around the management of acute trauma? Yeah, um, yeah, so yeah, sorry. So the immediate care and rugby course. So um, when I first started uh, with the Reds, so um, in that 2015, uh, World Rugby um, had actually just made it compulsory um, for anybody working in the professional side of rugby to have um, a qualification um, of the immediate care and rugby level three. Um, so um, in 2015, I had to do that course. Um, 
which was a three-day course at the time, um, and we sort of learnt um, their, you know, our basic first aid, um, how to manage life-threatening injuries, so neck trauma, concussion, um, fractures. And it was at that point, um, you know, I'd been working in club rugby for a period of time and semi-professional rugby um, on the sideline, and it was at that point doing that course that I really realised probably um, – how incompetent I was um, at managing um, neck trauma or um, uh, managing, you know, um, a, a potentially life-threatening um, situation um, as well. Um, and it really set up my next sort of um, years with the Reds in how to manage those. And, you know, looking back on my time at um, in my early stages of club rugby and and um, wishing I had had something like that at the time. And so as a physio, um, I thought it was really important to get involved in the teaching side of it and try and spread the word a little bit more um, to hopefully um, provide a little bit more um, experience and confidence for, um, you know, physio starting out their career on the sideline. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think clearly um, we're well aware that when talking around uh, life-threatening injuries and concussion, that it's a, there's a real medical component to the management in this space. And I guess a lot of our listeners are physiotherapists and we do realise that we a lot of physios are at times the sole health practitioner uh, pitch side at amateur sports and many sports out there, as many don't have doctors readily available to cover uh, matches and things like that. Uh, so with knowing that, what's the physio's role uh, in acute trauma situations? Yeah, so I mean... Uh, as you touched on there, Nick, uh, as a physio, um, we can often be the um, first responder um, or even the sole person um, down at, um, you know, a, a game of rugby or, um, or you know, any sort of sport that we might be covering um, from that side of it. So the physio's role there is actually um, to be a leader um, in that space and be able to manage uh, that trauma. And that might not be actually providing treatment um, as such, but um, at least knowing um, uh, when to call the ambulance or when to ask for help um, and then how to um, sort of safely um, get that player um, from the field um, as well. Um, and then the other side of that is actually sometimes the physio's role, even if the doctor is there, um, is to actually... Um, be a sounding board um, and help make a decision. And sometimes the hardest thing um, to do, like if you are having to manage a trauma there, is actually make a decision. So the skills required to do that, to, to put an airway in um, or, you know, something along those lines or even, you know, making a decision to put a collar on um, if you think they might have a neck injury, um, it's actually not that hard to do, um, but it is hard to make that decision. Um, and particularly if you're under pressure, um, being able to talk to somebody about that. So sometimes the physio role, physio's role is actually just to um, help talk through that with the, with the doctor. Okay, so I'm going to, for the um, interest of our listeners' sake, I'm going to sort of try to work us through a couple of scenarios that we might be presented with um, okay. if we are pitch side. So um, having chatted to you earlier, sort of some of the common ones or ones you most likely see are something related to... Um, potential neck injury uh, and number two being an ankle or a, or a fractured dislocation type of injury and three yes. uh, concussion so 
Uh, does it work with you okay if we sort of uh, might work our way through those three over the next couple of um, points and, 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 and tease out some information there? Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so we'll start with uh, neck and let's, uh, I'm imagining on the physio pitch side and someone's gone down and you've seen that they've uh, had some head trauma or some uh, neck trauma, had an awkward landing and they're, and they're lying, uh, you know, face down uh, on the pitch and you sort of run out there. What's, what should be the immediate process that goes through my mind and what sort of system am I you know, thinking through my head? Um, so, um, neck trauma, um, or for any of the trauma, um, in the, in the course, um, so we teach a system, um, so, um, really similar to what you learn at a first aid course, um, S, A, B, C, D, E, um, and we run through, um, what each of those letters are, um, and then how to manage that. So, um, if we, uh, um, a physio, we've seen someone come down with that neck injury, as you as you said, we've seen that they have um, had a contact to their head. Um, so the first thing that we actually need to do um, is check our safety as well. So um, you've got to check, um, you've got gloves, um, you know, you're visible, so um, high vis or something um, with that, and then making sure the game has stopped or the play has sort of cleared away from where you're going. Um, because uh, if you get injured um, heading on there, you also can't help um, that particular player. Um, so then the second one to that is um, A, um, which is airway. Um, but we actually talk about um, in the course, um, think spinal, do airway. Um, so that's a little motto um, that we sort of use. So um, airway is really important and um, that is the, the first thing that we need to think, but we try and get spinal at the same time. So when we get out there, not talking to the player initially so we don't startle them and we'll teach two positions that we can um, stabilise that player in. Um, and so the first one, particularly if we're by ourselves, is an anterior approach or approaching from the front um, and how to stabilise the head and neck there. And the second one is um, from the back, uh, where we call mills, um, and that's stabilising the head around the ears. And so what we would actually do at this point is getting out there and we, we're suspecting, you know, some form of spinal um, or head injury um, is call for help. Um, and so while we are down there, we should be able to get someone to come and help us um, and we'll get them to stabilise the neck when we go through um, the rest of our process um, with that. Okay, so first of all, we're thinking spinal and we've been able to stabilise the neck. Uh, yeah. in that position and obviously you need to then go through our system of A, B, C, D. You mentioned airway. How am I checking airway and what are some potential uh, obstructions or things I might need to be aware of? Yeah, so airway is really important. So um, once, we, once we're happy um, or we, you know, we get that neck stabilised really quickly, um, airway, look, listen and feel. Um, but first thing you can do is um, talk to them. So if they're talking back to you, you can be pretty happy that they've got an airway. If they're not... Um, it's um, sort of putting your ear down towards their mouth and uh, one, listening um, for breath sounds, two, feeling for breath sounds on your cheek, um, and three, looking for um, the rise and fall of their um, chest. And sort of probably the most common ones that you can get there um, are things like um, gurgling, um, so if they've um, aspirated um, or vomited, um, or they might get a... Um, they might get their uh, mouth guard um, stuck at the back of their throat or if their tongue's gone back. Um, so if you can't hear anything um, as well, it's always having a look in the mouth. So making sure that we're carrying a pin torch um, to be able to have a look down there um, as well. And we um, need to get that out pretty quickly. 
um, or snoring um, as well. So snoring is another one. Um, and like the other things that you can get, so I mean gum, like mouth guard's quite common, um, but the other thing you can get is if they've had a trauma to their neck, they can actually fracture um, their trachea or, you know, around that airway, um, which can cause an obstruction as well. Okay. And so we've cleared airway and moving on through to, uh, to B, what's that entail? Yep. So B's breathing. Um, so we're happy that, um, they've got an airway. Um, so in B, uh, we just want to check what their breathing's doing. Um, and it's sort of getting some baseline data, um, by this stage. So, we check um, expansion of the chest um, and pain. So this is a hands-on one. Um, and we'll just ask them to take breath in and out. We sort of talk about um, high and wide. So one breath um, high, so sort of up and underneath the collarbone, under the armpits. Um, and then wide, so getting down on those lower ribs. Um, so we'll have a um, good look of um, what they feel like and are they expanding and then we just get a rate of breathing um, there as well and that's more so uh, one you know if it's a bit um, out of context they're going to be breathing hard if they've been playing a um, game of footy Um, so it's making sure you're aware of that Um, but also then if we're going back into the uh, medical room or when that when they get to the hospital and their their, um, respiratory rates um, going up um, we've got to think then you know there might be something else going on there. Okay excellent tips and and moving through our process then into into c um so c circulation um so a couple of things that we're looking um for there just checking um any sort of blood around on the floor um from that side of it um and then just having a quick look at their pulse um and again just noting um down you know how quick it is um you know has it got a good volume and um is it got a regular rhythm um, as well and again they're just quick sort of notes that you want to make before um, you move on and then just checking the color of their face um, so are they sort of pink which you'd expect if they'd been playing um, a game of rugby or um, you know sport um, or have they gone white um, so just making sure we're looking for that um, in terms of those sort of signs of shock probably that you're looking for around there excellent and your final one there was d um, so d um, it's d for disability um, which uh, what actually that means is that's probably more where we're looking around our concussion stuff as well. So we use a scale um, once we get to this stage um, called AVPU or A-V-P-U. Um, and what we, what we do, so A being alert um, and you have to be alert and orientated. So you have to know where you are and what's going on. V, um, you might be talking. So you might be talking back to me, but you might not be making any sense. Um, so that would mean you'd be V, you'd be a reduced conscious level. Um, and then you've got P, um, which you're responding only to pain. Um, and then you being unconscious as well. So again, um, we sort of note down, um, what you are. If you are anything less than an A, um, then we can't clear your neck. Um, so if you are a V or below, we will collar and stretcher, um, the particular person off the field. And then um, the actual, the final one that we will go through is um, E, um, which is just everything else. And so that's where um, we'll quickly run through the rest of the body. So um, going down the sternum, um, collarbones, having a quick go down the arms um, and squeezing um, hands, um, making sure we go down sort of through the abdomen um, and the kidneys at the back. Um, We will check the pelvis quickly as well. Um, So we'll ask about pelvic pain. 
Um, if they don't have any pelvic pain, we'll give that a quick squeeze and then down the legs. Um, and a big part of that is, you know, if you do have a neck injury or a concussion, um, you might not realize that you do have pain somewhere else. Um, or um, we note that if you do have an injury somewhere else, um, it's often if we haven't seen the mechanism, it becomes hard to clear the neck because that could be a distracting injury. Okay, so let's paint the picture that, um, for instance, I would imagine if they've passed all, all those uh, boxes and the AVPU and they're orientated and feeling good and they're you're able to get them up, they can probably stand up and you, you walk off. Um, yeah. Let's say they haven't been able to pass that, so yeah. we can't clear the neck at the moment. Uh, you mentioned a collar. Are we getting the collar on them? And can you talk us through those steps of... Yes, getting the collar on and two, getting them um, off the field on the stretcher and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Um, so there's probably a couple of things um, there. So, yeah, as I said, if they um, are V or below on that AVPU scale or um, we do suspect that neck injury, we will put them in a collar. Um, so I'll just go through um, sort of clearing a neck or the things that um, we need to think about. Um around the neck stuff because it is quite important um, and so the reasons like we would suspect that so either mechanism of injury so there's a few things that you have to think about so mechanism of injury so if you've seen that um, or even if you haven't seen that um, um, can be a factor um, as we see a decreased conscious level um, if they've got any um, neurological signs or symptoms um, but more bilaterally uh, we'd be thinking um, with that one um, we noted any distracting injuries um, as well when we went through that. Um, and then with the neck itself, um, having a bit of a feel um, and any midline tenderness um, is an issue for us. Sometimes you can get, um, you know, unilateral pain or, or one-sided pain, um, but that midline tenderness is, is most important. And then we'll actually, um, at that point, if they are in A um, on that AVPU, we will ask them to um, rotate their neck um, from side to side and if they can do that we'll actually sit them up and look at the rest of their neck range but in, in this case um, as we've said they're, they're a V so we um, are going to put a collar on them now to put a collar on so we will we teach this on the course that you do require two people to do that so if you are by yourself um, you wouldn't be able to do this um, we use a hard collar um, which is what we teach um, so learning how to put that on um, and the position to get into and how to measure that. And it's really important that you know if you are going to use a hard collar um, that you actually know how to measure that properly because um, the, probably the biggest thing or the biggest reason um, that um, people have issues with collars is if they make them too big and when they put them on they actually put the neck into extension. Um, so if you're actually unsure you're probably better to go smaller um, than anything. Um, so yeah, as I said, you need two people. And once you've got the collar on, um, then we need another. So if, you, if you're um, helping that person put the collar on, then we need another four people um, to help us uh, get that person off the field um, with our stretcher. So you need six people in total um, to help um, remove that player from the field if we're going to stretch them off. All right. So it's a really um, excellent take through to this point. Let's um, fast forward and we're in the change room. So we haven't yeah. quite have a, an ambulance yet. 
Um, and you mentioned a couple of things there around clearing the neck, the midline tendons, the range of motion. Now that we're in a bit more of a calm environment, um, you know, in the change rooms, can you talk us through that process of, you know, then clearing the neck um, that you may be able to do now? As I said, you'd go through those couple of things, making sure that, you know, um, conscious level um, was that A, um, talking about those neuroscience and symptoms um, so finding out, you know, do they have any pins and needles, any numbness um, or any pain, even going down their arms into their fingers um, or into their um, upper back. Um, and then um, we would palpate the neck. Um, so we normally start high um, and we go centrally um, level by level down there and asking um, the player um, at every point in time, you know, have you got pain with this? How does that feel? Making sure that you're really um, happy with how that does feel and that they don't have any tenderness. Um, once you're comfortable with that, um, the next thing that we would do um, is get them to rotate their head. Um, and your wording around this is quite important um, as well. So making sure that when you're talking to them about that, you're saying um, at any point, if you do get any pain or feel like a blockage, make sure you stop. And I'll always say that to them before I ask them to rotate because uh, I, I find with patients, if you ask them to rotate, they'll rotate before you finish their instructions. Um, so, yeah, have you got any pain or do you feel any, uh, if you feel any blockages, make sure you stop. And I'm going to ask you to rotate your head or turn your head um, 45 degrees across to the left or to the right. And so we'll do both of those. And if they are good with that and they've got no pain, no crease in um, neural symptoms with that, that's when we will get them to sit up. Um, and once they're in sitting, um, same sort of thing, um, but just asking them to bring their chin down to their chest, check their flexion, and then um, looking up to the um, roof to check their extension. And if they've cleared all of those, then we can be pretty happy that their um, neck is probably pretty good. Um, but they probably won't be going back out to, to play. And probably the, the other big thing to know there is actually just your differential between um, like stingers and burners, uh, which is super common um, in rugby games um, or in contact sport, and just making sure that you um, uh, know your team really well because um, there will be um, some guys who potentially do get them a little bit more or if they've, you know, had a bit of neck pain during the week and, and they might get, you know, um, a stinger on the weekend. Um, but it's knowing that they will often get unilateral symptoms um, and they'll often clear quite quickly um, as well. But, yeah, I think knowing your team and knowing who, who gets those is really important. So um, you're making sure you know your differentials. Okay, perfect. And if we just take one step back there and, uh, God forbid, the person doesn't pass through their neck uh, screening tests and we're in that situation and uh, so they either have midline tenderness or some of the neural signs or they can't, rotate well obviously you'd be probably leaving them there in the collar and what's our process uh from there uh you've yeah leave them in the collar um so when you've got them on the spinal board if you have um, put them on that spinal board to take them off the field it actually has head blocks with it as well so they really can't move um that well um and straps across them but um yeah if you are worried or you have suspected a neck injury you should have called the ambulance um, at some point in time. So you'd be hoping that the ambulance is sort of getting a bit closer um, to coming. You'd be able to hand them over and they will um, head off to hospital for um, further imaging um, and review with um, specialists. 
All right, excellent. And final question on, uh, I guess, our uh, space within that neck injury. Um, and this is probably more something you might go through at the courses a bit more the next detail. But I, I mentioned at the start the player was lying face down versus uh, lying, let's say, they're on their back. But what's what's our difference? How do we manage that differently? So if the athlete is lying face down, ideally we need to obviously get them on their back at a point in time to be able to stretch to them and, and go through that process. How do we go about doing that? Yeah, and that's actually quite important because um, you're right, Nick, that um, there quite a few times, and particularly like last year with the Reds, we actually had two guys um, who were lying face down when we came out to them. Um, so you do need to um, assess. You, you still go into a neck support position um, as your um, first port of call, um, and we just teach you how to get into that position, how to stabilise them when they are face down. Um, and then you're really quickly checking their airway, okay? And if they're breathing, um, it's calling for help and you'll actually need um, another three people as well as you to help you roll that person. And you are wanting to roll them back over onto their back reasonably quickly. Um, Sometimes, you know, they're not lying um, that nicely for you, so they're sort of lying face down with their head turned to one side Um, and you do have to make sure that you keep that head in line with the body as it was until you get them over onto their back. Um, And then you can go through that same process of saying, um, you know, if you feel any pain or um, a block in your neck, please stop. But can you look up to the sky um, as well? And they'll look up and then you can um, go through your same process of um, your A, B, C, D, E from that point um, as well. But, yeah, it's a really important one to to, um, practice is um, them lying face down. Um, and the other one that they can actually end up in is um, for a, like a four-point kneel position. Um, um, I've seen once before um, as well. So making sure, and that's um, normally out of like a scrum in rugby, um, you can end up in that type of position. So just knowing how to get them down onto their tummy and rolling them onto their back is really important. One of the latest releases on the Masterclass platform was with the Australian Boomers head physio, David Hillard, talking to the lateral ankle sprains. In this Masterclass, David ran us through right from the early stages of his subjective cues, differential diagnosis, clinical assessment of the ankle, as well as his rehabilitation approaches right from the early to end stages. Uh, we're lucky enough to have a professional basketball player from the Sydney Kings as our model demonstrating all the rehabilitation exercises. Uh, David touched on his objective and, and functional strength assessment in detail, as well as how to incorporate both the ball skills into his rehabilitation um, stages as well as looking at further risk reduction once returned to support. Super insightful, super practical. He's a great educator and, and clearly well-versed and experienced on this topic. So head over and have a look. Okay, Jenna, so if we, we, uh, we'll we sort of cease talking around the neck injury there and before we mentioned around a, a fracture dislocation that we might be presented with and in this case we'll, we'll talk about a scenario with a, a fracture dislocation of the ankle. Um, but let's say, for instance, uh, a player's gone down a lot of a lot of pain in their lower leg. You, you've run out as a first responder. Uh, take us through uh, your initial thoughts and a bit around your process and and what happens from there. So um, you'll you'll see again um, through the course and the process that we teach. Um, it's the same for basically every injury. Um, so if we've gone out there, if we haven't actually seen the mechanism of injury, then we've always got to assume that there is a neck injury um, before we can um, clear that. So when we get out there, again, um, 
East being safety, so making sure that you're safe, um, the player stopped or players moved away so you can go onto the field, um, getting out there and, and finding that next support. Um, you'll call for help um, and you'll get someone else um, to support that neck. And you will run through your process really quickly, so just, um, again, making sure you've got an airway. Um, and that really only takes, um, you know, 10 seconds to do and you can run through the, the other things in sort of 20 to 30 seconds as well. Um, and you can obviously see um, that there is a um, fractured ankle dislocation. Um, they're squirming around a lot of pain. Um, so from there, um, you want to call for help um, probably pretty quickly um, from that side of it. And then if there's no other issues, then we have to think about how we're going to actually manage this fracture um, dislocation of the ankle. And a lot of it comes down to, I think, as physios, um, we get sort of a bit um, scared of these sometimes or we think, you know, it's the doctor's job to, to manage them. But we can be the only people there um, at a point in time. And there is, there is um, situations where um, you actually should, um, if it's a dislocated ankle um, and they, you know, are neurally or vascularly compromised, um, it's actually better for you to be relocating that or, or making sure that you're putting that in a position where you're trying to get back that neurovascular status before you send them off to hospital. And so um, what, we, what we'll do is we'll teach from there um, if there is um, an injury to the first thing that you'll do is check that neurovascular status. So if we're at an ankle, um, we'll look at the pulses. Um, you've got a couple of pulses that you can um, check there. So your um, dorsalis pedis pulse on the top of your foot or your posterior tibialis pulse um, as well. So you want to check that they're present. Um, you've got capillary refill um, as well. So you can just give the toe or the nail bed a good squeeze. Um, then you just want to check the sensation. Um, so compare that to the other foot. So um, obviously to do all of that, you would have to expose the foot. So um, you know, making sure you're cutting off a sock or, or getting a shoe off um, as well to be able to do that. And it is, it's really important to note their neurovascular status before you do anything because if it is present and then you do something and it's not present, um, you need to be able to note that we need to be able to go back to, to how it was um, to get that pulse back before we, before we send them off. Right, so it sounds quite... Um if we break that down a little bit because that's a lot to sort of take in. So I guess... Yeah. We have a fracture dislocation and ultimately in a, in a situation like that, uh, if it is sort of, a, a, you know, a limb threatening whereby their neural or vascular uh, is compromised, um, we might be relocating that. However, if um, let's say the vascular and neural, uh, there's no compromise or issue there, are we best to leave it alone? And, and, and if so, how, how do we deal with that? Do we brace that up and how do we sort of reduce their pain in the short term until we can get the ambulance there? Yeah, so um, it's a great question. It's it's a really tricky one um, in some ways. So um, it's, it's basically around your experience and your competence um, with that. Um, so if it is dislocated and they do have pulses, um, then you can support the limb as it is, as it currently is. Um, so um, the best you can, so that might be putting a, a box splint on it um, and wrapping it up. Um, it might be um, you using your hands um, to hold it there as well um, and you've called an ambulance um, for them to come. 
Um, if they're in a lot of pain, um, relocating that ankle will um, make them feel a lot better. Um, so if you are um, confident or if you've got a doctor there um, who can do that, great. Or if you've got a doctor who can give them some medication, great. Um, but you can um, apply some, with an ankle, you can apply some gentle traction um, to that. So this is probably only in closed ankle dislocations as well. So if it is open, um, you wouldn't do this um, from that side of it. But um, if it is a closed ankle dis dislocation and, um, you know, you are experienced enough, you can apply um, a gentle traction to it, uh, to the ankle, and you will find um, as you gently traction it and guide it back in it, um, it probably will um, just come back in and that will actually settle a lot of the pain down for that um, player um, particularly. If you do do that, you do need to check um, your neurovascular status again and, um, you know, hopefully it is still still got pulses and still got um, so your neurovascular intact basically. Quite the process. Uh, on a, in a field-based sports setting, I would imagine we would get this person on a stretcher and do this process inside, considering we need to get their boots off uh, and what have you. Uh, is that a how does that go? If that's the case, is it? I imagine it'd be quite a difficult process for someone who's in quite severe pain, uh, and probably with a team that isn't um, overly experienced. If we are talking around some sort of pitch side amateur sport coverage, yeah. Yeah, it dep depends on your setting. So. Um... It, my experience in the um, professional setting, um, we've seen a couple of these um, over the last couple of years. Um, I'm lucky enough to work with um, some great docs as well. So um, they get relocated on the field. Um, it's all very done very quickly, um, splintered in, and um, then the player's taken off the field um, from that side. But yeah, the amateur level, um, you know, your club rugby, things like that, um, when you don't have that support, um, yeah, the chances are you're probably going to um, support that limb, get them off the field, um, and then, you know, either you've called the ambulance or um, you're going to have a go at relocating it um, once you're off that field to try and reduce some of that pain um, for that particular person. Okay, and uh, one question I was going to ask, and it, uh, it might not be as, as common, but uh, you mentioned the open uh, fracture dislocation and, and that we wouldn't do that I guess how does our management change if that was to be the case uh, if we do have an open open fracture yeah so if you've got an open fracture um, the recommendation um, is to um, leave it to cover it um, with a sterile dressing and support it the best you can as it is um, there's just such a high risk of infection um, with those ones as well okay excellent uh, so was taking our steps through the, these more common scenarios that we might see and moving away from, uh, you know, the lower limb injury. Um, we're going to just touch on concussion a little bit and I just wanted to sort of uh, make note prior to talking through some concussion. This is not a concussion podcast and it's not a concussion resource. There is a number of resources both um, obviously externally and there's a great masterclass on concussion from Laura Fazari on uh, Sportsmap. But... Um, I guess without trying to go through the whole gamut of concussion, do you have uh, just some key principles around, you know, some of that management of a concussion um, post off the field? Like what are your really clear guidelines on their instruction and where are you sending them and who to and, and how does that sort of work both, I guess, at a professional level but also for our um, physios that might cover um, more amateur um, competitions? Yes. Yeah. 
Um, so um, concussions, obviously, um, a growing um, discussion topic, um, and um, I think we're probably getting better at one picking them and two at managing them um, from that side. And in the probably a little bit easier for us in the professional world, um, one to recognise it because we've got video um, as well. Um, we're there immediately um, to see that player. They get sort of their assessments, you know, on field, post game, the next day, and they're followed up every day um, from that around their symptoms. Um, so it's actually probably more at the club rugby level um, or that sort of amateur level, um, but it becomes a little bit harder. Um, and so if a player, um, if, if we are diagnosing a player um, with concussion, um, it's making sure um, that they do have very clear instructions around, you know, what they should be looking out for and um, what they should be doing over those coming days. And um, you can get a lot of great resources now um, online. Um, so um, the HIA guidelines, and you can you can give them um, even handouts of, of instructions for that. But I'll often make sure that they've got someone who can um, help them out um, or keep an eye on them, um, particularly over those next couple of days. Um, if they start getting any increasing symptoms um, to um, present to a doctor or contact a doctor. Um, and now in Brisbane particularly, um, there's some great clinics, there's some um, really good sports docs um, floating around who um, do um, review um, people for concussions. Um, and then there's some physios now who are going through concussion testing, the vestibular testing, um, and making sure that we're sort of um, on track with that, and yeah, if you have if you have got your concussion, you know, amateur level, it's that sitting out for three weeks um, at the moment, and and particularly if you're um, under nineteen, um, you know, you are sitting out for that period of time as well. Excellent, and um, there is obviously a lot of resources out there, and important that um, before people want to try to, I guess. M- you know, manage a concussion that they're really well informed and certainly refer if they are, are not fully informed on that process. Uh, yes, yeah, so back to, I guess, um, some of our emergency management care, uh, what are some of your biggest tips or advice you can give sports med professionals and physios working in sports uh, where they may be exposed to some acute trauma? So whether that's, um, you know, that one, their education and, and, and planning or whatever that might be. Um, I think it's really important, um, yeah, for, for physios um, particularly, but um, for anyone sort of working um, pitch side um, at any level, um, is to be informed. Um, so really um, understand what you could actually see um, with the sport that you're covering. Um, so, you know, rugby um, being a contact sport, um, you can, you're going to see head injuries, you're going to see neck injuries, um, you are going to see fractures, you know, you're going to see dislocations and, and understanding that these things actually do happen um, and having a plan for how you're going to manage them. Um, and that will include making sure that um, you've got in- equipment um, to do that. And so, like, if you have, for example, done the immediate care and rugby course, um, one thing that we do teach on the level two course, um, level two and level three course, um, is how to put an airway in if they do if they have got an airway issue. Um, so using a... Um, MPA or an OPA so I would carry those um, with me Uh, making sure you've got access to splints 
um, making sure you know where your stretcher is, you've got a collar, um, having an emergency plan. Um, so um, if you are, you know, the sole physio down there um, covering a particular sport, um, knowing who you've got around you who can help you, you know, it might be um, just nominating someone to call an ambulance um, or having, you know, uh, people around there who can help you. Um, you can direct them how to how to put a collar on or um, how to roll the player um, to get them onto the stretcher, um, those types of things. So um, being informed and being planned um, is really important um, and it just makes such a big difference to um, how you manage a person and it could make a really big difference to um, their outcome if they are having a limb-threatening or life-threatening um, injury um, from the um, sport they're playing. Some sound advice. And, and now the, the course you mentioned and the Level 2 and Level 3 courses, uh, where can we find more information about these uh, courses for those who might be interested? Yep. So um, currently um, they are run through rugby um, in Australia. It's a world rugby um, initiative um, which has been adopted by um, Australia. So um, currently you can find them on the Rugby Australia website. Uh, if you search for the immediate care and rugby course um, with Rugby Australia, um, it will pop up and it's got um, all the courses that are coming up this year and where they are. So at the moment, um, there's a few sort of around the country um, coming up over the year. Um, there's level two and level three. So um, from an amateur sport point of view, club rugby level, level two is fine. Um, and if, you, if you're working sort of higher up um, in the professional world, um, you should be looking at doing level three um, as well, which just goes into a little bit more depth. It's um, a three-day course as opposed to the level two, which is a two-day course. Okay. And Gina, uh, you mentioned your new clinic in Brisbane. If our listeners wanted to reach out yeah. to you and um, be in touch with anything they might have found really interesting here, how would they go about doing that? And are you happy for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, yep, just started a new clinic um, in Brisbane. So um, I've just launched my website, actually, which is quite exciting. Um, so you can find me on um, qperformance.au uh, um, or, yeah, if you if you want to get in touch, um, you can send me an email um, as well, um, just at gina at qperformance.au um, and I'm happy to um, chat through anything or answer any questions um, if anything if anyone wants to chat about um, you know this topic or anything else um, in a bit more detail. Sounds great Gina we um, thoroughly enjoyed uh, working through a couple of those scenarios and, and learning a bit more about this really important topic so uh, super grateful to have you on and we really appreciate your time and wish you all the best with the with the new clinic and I'm sure things will be um, you know very very busy in, in no time so again a huge thanks from us. Thank you very much for having me, Nick. I really enjoyed it.